Hi, this is Dion Bake from Butler Mortgage. We're currently ranked the number one mortgage brokerage in Ontario and number two in Canada. And much of our success is due to the fact that we help clients acquire multiple investment properties. If you'd like to talk with a mortgage advisor who specializes in investment property, you can reach me at 888-684-8326. To learn more about what's going on in the world of investment property financing, check out episode 23 of the Breakthrough Podcast, where I discuss the topic with Robin Sandy. Breakthrough Real Estate Investing Podcast, episode 101. If you're looking for the skills and tools to succeed in real estate investing, you've come to the right place. This show is about breaking through barriers, breaking through limiting beliefs, and breaking through to the life that you want to live through the power of real estate investing. This is the Breakthrough Real Estate Investing Podcast. And now, here are your hosts, Rob Brake and Sandy McKay. Welcome, everyone. Thanks for joining us again today. Hey, Sandy, how are you? Hey, Rob. Fantastic. Yourself? Very, very good. Um, just still sort of in the uh, first phase of my first multifamily deal. And Dali knows about mm -hmm. that, our guest. So, We'll maybe touch on that a little bit, although I don't want to get into anything too personal on this, but, uh, but, um, yeah, it's pretty exciting. And, uh, you know, a couple other things going on. How about you? Nice. Uh, yeah, lots of stuff. Um, I guess we're fresh off our 100th, 100th episode. So that was cool to do all that, uh, at the events. And then, uh, I was just looking forward to, to, to making that event exciting. And that's been a lot of my focus for the last while. So back yeah, to, uh, back to kind of normal business and uh, buying some properties and doing all that fun stuff. Right on, right on. Uh, everyone should go over to our website, breakthroughreipodcast.ca. There you can listen to every single episode that we've done. And you can also get in contact with the guests because all of their contact info that they've shared will be there and available for anyone who would like to get in touch. So please go over and do that, breakthroughreipodcast.ca. What else can they do over there, Sandy? Grab our free report, uh, The Ultimate Strategy for Building Wealth in Real Estate. And that'll uh, come with it as you jump on our email list and, uh, and get access to all that stuff that uh, the Rob mentioned there. Get access to our property tours, our events that come, are coming up. Uh, get notified of every, every episode that we release. And just uh, hopefully our goal there is just to deliver more value to you. So jump on on that list and get access to everything there. Great. As well, jump over onto iTunes and subscribe to the podcast there. You can leave a rating and review, which would be greatly appreciated for anyone who just has a couple of minutes can go over and um, tell us what they think about the episodes that they've heard so far and the guests and maybe even what they'd like to hear more of on the show. So if, uh, if anyone would care to leave us a review, it'd be greatly appreciated. We've got some great recommendations. I've seen some come through the last uh, couple of weeks that have been interesting. So we're going to have a few new topics, I think, if we can track down some good guests. Um, there are some good ones there, Rob, that have come through. Well, you know what? I'll shout it out right now. Somebody asked us to do a podcast about agricultural land and renting it to farmers and that kind of thing. So if we have any experts in that kind of area listening to this, then please get in touch with us at uh, info at breakthroughreipodcast.ca. We'd love to hear what you have to say and possibly have you as a guest on the show. Talk about it. Yeah. Well, I guess we've gotten through all the housekeeping, Sandy, so we should probably talk to our guest. 
<laughs> Sounds good. Yeah, we've got Dahlia standing by. So welcome to the show, Dahlia. Thank you, folks. Uh, thank you for the opportunity. Oh my gosh, this has been such a long time coming here. We've had so many mishaps and we were on all, we almost did this interview one time before and then I can't, oh, we had a bunch of technical difficulties, I think, and then you were sick and then I was sick and yeah. oh, Sandy was probably sick in there too somewhere, but we're yeah. finally doing it today. So thanks for being here. Appreciate yeah, it. We're here. All good. Yeah, I'm pretty excited. And we are doing something a little bit differently today. We're going to get to, uh, I put it out on Facebook and uh, Instagram that you were going to come on the show and talk to us today. And I have a bunch of listener questions here to ask too. So that'll be interesting to get into that. Excellent. Perfect. And for, for those of you who, who don't know Dahlia Barsoom, she's an award-winning mortgage broker, a financial advisor. She's got over 20 years experience in the banking sector, uh, wealth management, lending, and real estate. Uh, she's the author of Canada's best-selling real estate financing book. Uh, and, and it's an Amazon bestseller as well. Canadian real estate investor financing, seven secrets to getting all the money you want. And she's been nominated for a whole bunch of awards here. I'm not going to get through all of them. Uh, top 75 brokers, 2017, 18, 19 in the Canadian Mortgage Professionals. Um, what else here? Top mortgage broker, 2017, 2015, Canadian Real Estate Wealth Magazine, a woman of influence, 2017. Uh, top 100 women driving and reshaping the Canadian real estate industry and a whole bunch of others. And uh, she's a public speaker. She's a regular columnist in the Canadian Real Estate Wealth Magazine uh, and various other media outlets throughout uh, the real estate and financing world. And she's the president and principal broker of Street, Streetwise Mortgages, which is one of Canada's top 75 brokerages as ranked by Canadian mortgage professionals. And Dahlia helps many real estate investors kickstart their investment plans, as well as take their portfolio to the next level. And her clients range from rookie investors to more sophisticated investors with multi, multi-million dollar portfolios and um, a whole bunch of more things, but we'll probably get into all that sort of stuff as we get through the interview. So again, welcome to the show, Dahlia. Happy to have you here. Thank you very much, Sandy. Yeah, thanks, Dahlia. Thanks for being here. Sandy, you must be exhausted after going through those accolades. <laughs> I, I, was, I was trying to take some breaths there, but that was a long one, yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Sandy, for the comprehensive intro. Uh, what else do you want to add to that? What about family, uh, stuff you do for fun, that kind of thing? Yes, uh, well, I have two beautiful uh, sons, Alexander and Vincent, 12 and 8. and um, I have a Labradoodle. His name is Yogi. Uh, that's my little family. And what I like to do for fun is a lot of, I do a lot of things, but mainly I like to take long walks with my dog. I like to travel with the kids and my husband. And I actually um, enjoy and love and addicted to Latin music. So mm -hmm. I listen to a lot of Latin music. I do a lot of salsa dancing and Latin dancing. Um, and on the sports side, I play also soccer. Very, very good. That sounds like fun. Yeah. Okay. Now, um, I'm sure what most people who are listening to this real estate investing podcast are interested in though, is the real estate side of it. So let's get into <laughs> that. Um, so not only are you an investor focused broker, but you're also an investor yourself. So do you want to tell us a little bit about your investing journey so far? Sure. I started investing, uh, at about 2008, when the markets took a hit, and at that time, I was actually working for one of um, 
Canada's largest big banks. And I saw my stock portfolio sink and uh, my husband and I felt that we had no control at the time. And this is where we started shifting gears to uh, real estate. So I started with a small property in Southwest Barrie. At the time I purchased a townhouse and from there I grew my portfolio in Barrie. So I am primarily invested in Southwest Barrie and in Northwest Barrie. And I also got into uh, Vaughn many years ago before Vaughn Mills and the subway station uh, came to life. So my, my primary portfolio is all buy and holds. I, I haven't done any fancy footwork when it comes to flipping or renovations, but recently in Barrie, I started acquiring properties that allow for the legalization of secondary suites. And as we speak right now, I am uh, putting offers on Toronto properties to do a buy, renovate, refinance in Toronto. It's more massive, you know, type of renovation, but, um, you know, the numbers make sense for us. So that's where I am right now. And then the rest of my portfolio, I supplement with private mortgages. So when you say Toronto, you, do you mean Toronto proper or... Like Toronto, right so basically, yeah, so Rob, basically buying a property that is run down in a prime location in Toronto within minutes to the subway station, you know, you're looking at a, a million or 1.2, that's the range. Mm -hmm. And what we would do is we would literally gut the property. Um, it costs about two to $300,000 in renovations. It's like I said, it's a massive investment, but at the end of the day, the push in value is significant in a market like Toronto. And what we do is we um, create three or four units inside the property so that our gross rental income jumps to about 6,000 or 6,500 renting to professionals. Very, very so good. It's, it's the first strategy, but in Toronto. So that's, that's what I'm doing right now. Very cool. That's awesome. Um, and then you started out with buy and holds, you said, and just have just sort of, you know, that worked for you for the first little while. But as you know, I would imagine everybody gets sort of the itch to recycle their money a little bit and, and you know, be a little more, bit more adventurous and, and try some new things. So yes. Cool. Yeah, I mean, it's all been buy and hold. I haven't flipped property. Like I said, recently, I started buying things to legalize a secondary suite, but my most um, massive i guess uh um strategy is the one that i'm deploying in toronto right now so i mean as far as the people that we generally talk to in this podcast most of them are new investors um they're they're building their portfolio still they're using different strategies but you know typically they're they're doing buy and holds either that or rent to owns uh, student rentals some flipping and yep. then what you just talked about with the buy, refi, uh, buy, renovate, refinance, and rent strategy. How do you suggest that investors set them up for set themselves up for success using each of these strategies? So let's just start with a straight up buy and hold. So, with a, so at the end of the day, when an investor um, wants to pick a strategy, what's important is to understand why they are deploying that strategy what are they after at the end of the day are they after capital growth so that they can grow maybe their down payment money through a flip or a rent to own that matures in three years so we can take that and put it into long-term buy and holds or are they primarily after cash flow and therefore they're looking at 
maybe student rentals or rent to own or legalization of secondary suites. So it starts with understanding why they're actually tackling that strategy. From a financing standpoint, what you should consider is not just the mortgage and the rate. As an investor, you need to understand what your plan is for the property. So if you're getting into a buy and hold, okay, um, what I and, and you know that this property is something you're gonna keep for the long run, you really wanna make sure that you have a couple of features. One, I'm a big believer of what's called an advanceable mortgage on a long-term buy and hold. As an investor, you're gonna run into issues sometimes with tenants. You're gonna run into repairs sometimes with tenants. You need some reserves to carry your properties. So an advanceable mortgage on a long-term buy and hold allows you to accumulate capital over time on a line of credit as you pay down the mortgage. So it gives you access to that reserve. So I would highly suggest, you know, an advanceable mortgage on a long-term buy and hold. On a rent to own, um, you wanna make sure that you have flexibility primarily uh, because you got a tenant buyer who's gonna buy the property from you, let's say in three years, and you need to think about two things. What if that tenant buyer does not buy the property from you um, and needs an extension? And what if they buy it from you before the end of the term because they've done great and they can actually buy it sooner. So what I typically suggest on a rent to own is a variable rate mortgage because a variable rate mortgage gives you that type of flexibility. If they extend, you don't have to renew your term. And if they buy early from you, you know, you, you, you can break that mortgage with the least penalty, okay? On a student rental, um, student rentals are trickier. If you're buying a student rental, if you're buying a property that looks and smells like a student rental from the get-go, there are very few lenders that will do that type of deal. They are financeable, but what you need to think about is what if later you want to take money out of that property, which we all do as investors. We want to recycle our capital. So again, on a student rental, because your universe of lenders going in is a little bit limited, you want to think ahead of time. And I would recommend also an advanceable mortgage on a student rental because on a refinance, it's a little bit more challenging. So if you have an advanceable mortgage, that would allow you to get access to capital in an easier format. And then finally, on a buy, renovate, refinance, what we recommend to investors is to consider a mortgage with two key things. One, going into the deal, go variable. Don't go fixed because once you've done that renovation, as an investor, you wanna be able to go back, refinance it, pull your money out, pay your rental capital, and if, and if you've done it really, really well, you'll get some extra funds to take it to your next deal. So do it variable, so you give yourself the flexibility to pull the money out once you're done, but also go to a lender or talk to your broker to work with a lender that will allow you to revisit the value once the work is done. Not a lot of lenders will let you refinance at the appraised value once you're done. Some lenders will say, sorry, you know what, guys, you've owned this property only for three months and all of a sudden you're telling us that the value has jumped by $100,000, we're not gonna touch it. So for, a, for an investor who's doing a, a burst strategy, you gotta make sure your exit strategy is open, not like go with a variable rate, and you're working with a lender that allows you to refinance at appraised value in a short time period. So that's what I would recommend on the different strategies. So that was interesting what you said on the student rental thing, um, just having a readvanceable mortgage. So that means that, um, that you wouldn't necessarily have to have it appraised in order to pull the value in order to pull. Well, you would. 
So <clears throat> let's walk through that really slowly because I know that a lot of my clients and a lot of people that I'm working with right now are doing student rentals as a, as an initial strategy, but the properties that we're into are also uh, able to be used for second suites down the road if they want to do that kind of thing. But let's just assume that they're going to stay as a student rental. Uh, the term is up. They've had, they've held the mortgage for five years. Now they think that the property has, has appreciated. They haven't really uh, made any changes by renovating or anything like that. It's just over time, they feel that the property is appreciated. Now they want to access that additional income. So that's not what you were talking about there. You were more talking about if you, if you pay the mortgage down, you can then have access to those funds again. Yes. Um, up to whatever the initial amount of the appraisal was. Yes. What if, what if we want to get uh, access to the no, new sorry. appraised value? Okay. So at that, so knowing if you're going to invest in a student rental, we want to make sure that upfront we plan the portfolio so that when the time comes, we're able to refinance that deal back with the lender who initially approved it for you. Because what typically happens is as you grow your portfolio, you, you outgrow the guidelines of the lenders that you have worked with initially. So you go to property number six or number seven, but you have, let's say, five student rental properties that we financed with a bank early on. And you come and say, Dali, I want to pull equity. These properties have a lot of money in them. If you have outgrown the guidelines of the lender we initially worked with, then you would have less options to work with. But if we upfront say, you know what? Let's make sure that when we allocate your deals, we structure your portfolio in a way so that we preserve your borrowing power with that lender that has lent you on your student rentals. Then that would leave your options open with these lenders later down the road to go back and do a full refinance. Okay, that's, that's one way. The other way is there are lenders that will consider student rentals if, there is, if, if everybody is on a master lease agreement versus, you know, sub, sub leases. Okay, so it is, it works better for financing if you have a master agreement with names versus, you know, room rentals as well. It, it, it gives you more options to do a full refinance. So really what you're saying is when people want to get into real estate investing, they should have a good idea of what they want to do down the road and talk to somebody like yourself in order to set things up like this, because really mortgage, like the rate, you know, the interest rate is not necessarily the most important thing, which a lot of people, that's no. what they, that's what they drill down on. Like what, what interest rate can I get? Yes. Uh, the interest rate is important to all of us. And we definitely want to make sure that your cost of borrowing stays reasonable given your strategy. But what's most important for real estate investors, I find is how they want to grow. We all want to recycle equity to grow. A lot of us recycle equity to grow. So it's important to think ahead of time of how you're going to grow. If you like, if you take a five years fixed rate, I just came across an investors, uh, an investor that I met yesterday came to us and said, Dali, I want to grow my real estate portfolio, but I just locked with my bank on my four properties on a five years fixed rate at 2.79. And unfortunately they locked with a bank. When I ran the numbers, they locked with a bank that they cannot qualify further with to extract any money out of their properties, whether it's a line of credit or a mortgage. So unless they break this big loan and go somewhere else, they can't move forward. But that's the rate mentality. They, they, 
they locked in because the bank sold them on a rate. And yes, the rate was great, but what's your strategy as an investor? What do you want to do? And how can we make sure that we structure things to you know, allow you to do what you want to do? It's really beyond just the rate. Yeah, those are great points. Those are actually really, really important points because the amount of people I'm sure you come across a lot, Dahlia, Rob, both, both of you are, that have locked into those types of scenarios and they're, they're stuck, right? They can't move ahead. Um, all it takes is a little, little upfront work, uh, getting connected with some of the right people and that all can be solved up front, right? Yeah, so that's one, obviously a mistake there. What are some other common mistakes that you see with people in the lending world? So um, what I see, one common mistake is, is assumptions, okay? Assumptions, clients sometimes make the wrong assumptions around what they qualify for from a financing standpoint, okay? They know they make good income, they have great credit, and they say, okay, I'm getting a deal from my realtor. I'm going to crunch my numbers based on this amortization, based on this down payment, based on this rate. Um, and then... Once the time comes for financing, if they haven't planned it ahead of time, they may end up with different financing numbers and get surprised. So my, it's a very common mistake. Do not assume financing. Plan financing. When you plan financing, you will know not just what you qualify for on your next deal, but if you talk to an investor-friendly broker, you'll be able to map out what your financing game plan looks like for at least your next three to four deals. And you would know where your money's coming from, what your rates are going to be, what your amortization is, what your exit strategy looks like. All of these things have to be covered before you actually go into a deal. And then it's like, then you're running, you're, you're ready executing. It's like a cookie cutter. So uh, assumptions is a big mistake. The other one is getting fixated on the rate. Uh, which is the second biggest mistake. Rob, any other mistakes you see uh, from people commonly in that, uh, in that world or no? The big ones for me is the, is the getting in that fix. I come across a lot of people that, that haven't, uh, you know, they have a few properties and they're in on, like you mentioned, to have that fixed rate and they're, uh, people always ask what's better, fixed or variable. I, I, I mean, I'm pretty much every time on the variable side just because of flexibility. You know, as my, I know everybody's going to hate this answer. <laughs> It depends. Yeah, yeah. Everybody hates the answer. Hates the it depends answer, but it truly depends. It depends on what your plan is as an investor. What's your plan for the property? What's your long-term plan? Are you going to rely on equity to grow? Are you going to flip this property? Are you going to sell this property? Are you going to renovate it and refinance it? That drives the type of rates you know we 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 go into. The black and white answer is right now, as it currently stands. Fixed rate is fantastic. It's at the slowest point. You're going to get a great fixed rate compared to going variable. But then you marry that with everything else and you put context around it and it may not make sense for an investor depending on what they're, do what they're doing. Mm -hmm. So it really depends. Mm -hmm. And maybe not a mistake, Sandy, but, um, but one of the things that I definitely see uh, sometimes happen is, you know, you'll get an unfavorable appraisal once you've done the, once you've done the renovations and you want to have access to that uh, new value, the money from the new value, the appraisal comes in and it's completely unfavorable. What, what do you suggest people do when that happens? Okay. So for investors who are renovating a property, I always suggest that they put together 
a binder, okay, outlining what they've done to the property, how much they spent, and get comparables, true comparables from their realtor. Then we take that, pass it on to the appraiser, and say, hey, here's everything you need to help you with your homework, to help you with your valuation. That's one key thing we do on renovated properties. The other thing is knowing who's going to go appraise your property. Okay. It's, it's, there are appraisers who know the local market really well. And there are appraisers as much as they're putting in their best effort, they don't know the local market as well. So real estate is a local market. Your realtor knows the local market. Your appraiser knows the local market. Your broker should know the local market. And knowing the local market is key in determining what value is. So this is where, you know, we work with appraisers who know the local market really well, but also do our homework upfront by sending them this package that will help them, you know, support the best value. Mm -hmm. And you'll tell them what you're looking for, what, what the investor is looking for. Does that of help? Course. Of course. Yes. Of course. We, we, on all, on every deal, we would ask, we would, convey to the appraiser what we're looking for. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a big one. Um, so we do have some questions, I guess, Rob, uh, from, uh, from, from some of our listeners that have reached out and wanted to know some things here. So Godfrey wanted to know, what is the difference between A, B, and C lenders? How do, how do we determine the difference there? People toss those terms around a lot and uh, a lot of people may not know what that is. So what does that mean? Okay, I can, I can write a book on A, B, and C lenders, but I'll give you the summary on these three categories. So what's categorized as an A lender is a lender that will give you the best financing terms generally on a property, okay? So that's 20, if you're doing, if you're buying rentals, 20% down, 30-year amortization, and a reasonable rate, okay? There are some A lenders that will also do 25 down 30 year and also great rate. So it's really a lenders are all around the rates. Okay. And then there are variations when it comes to down payment from 20 to 25 down B lenders. Before I get into B lenders, actually the a lenders are also the lenders that work with good credit. So six fifty and above. Now the B lenders are the lenders who will work with clients who have more creative. Okay. Types of, scenarios so self-employed clients who maybe may be making great money in their business but they're not paying themselves enough on the personal side okay that's a client that would work with a b lender uh, credit that may not necessarily be at 650 or a client that is overutilized in terms of leverage where the numbers are so 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 tight they're at their ceiling with an a lender we have to go to a b lender a b lender will work with these scenarios, but they're at, at a cost. It's not for free. So they charge a higher rate, generally 1% higher than a bank, okay? Um, they also ask you in some areas to put in a higher down payment, like 25% down, unless the property is in a major market. And they also charge what's called a lender fee. They charge a 1% of the mortgage amount on closing in a lender fee, okay? So that's B. And then C is really the private money, okay? Private money is easy to get. There's a lot of supply for private money right now. As an investor, we use private money for many, many reasons. It could be because of 
a shortage in town payment. It could be because you need money to renovate. It could be because your deal doesn't fit with an A or a B lender and we have to go down a private route until we organize things and then take them back to either an A or a B. Private money, most expensive. That's the C money. What do you expect? You can expect interest rates on a first mortgage in the range of seven to nine. And you can expect interest rates on a second mortgage in the range of, I would say, 10 to 13, okay? Depending on how risky the deal is, is considered by the private lender. And of course, there are all sorts of fees. There is a broker fee and there is a lender fee. If you're looking for a guesstimate, it's about 3% of the loan amount. Private money is temporary money. You should use it as a stepping stone. You should not use it as a long-term financing capital. So these are the three buckets. Obviously, through, through portfolio planning, what we try to do is we try to squeeze as much as we can for you as an investor out of group A before we go to B. From time to time, we have to tap into C to give you time to restructure certain things. And again, it's just a temporary stepping stone. Yeah. So, wow, that's great. So I'm sure that the people that are asking these questions are going to really like the answers because you're going deep into them. I think more so than, you know, they can get just readily um, on the internet or something like that. We've got another one here from Darcy and Darcy says, can someone in their sixties still qualify for an investment property? That's a good question. That is. Yeah. Yes. Um, we have done several deals for clients above 60, above 60, and it really boils down to what you qualify for depending on how you're earning your income. It's not about the age, it's about how you're earning your income and where your deal fits. So if you're getting a pension, can we use the pension? If you have properties with some rental income um, and you have a low pension, how can we maximize on the usage of that rental income to help you, you know, qualify? But yeah, absolutely. It's, it's not really age related. Okay. So there's, so there's nothing really that would be taken into account as far as the age, like the amortization and they go, man, like, oh, this guy might not be around that long. No, no. It's <laughs> no. the amortization is, um, amortization is driven really by the economic life of the property. Okay. So if you have a property with an appraisal that comes in and says, this property has 20 years left, the lender is not going to give you a 30 year M mortgage because the asset they're securing the money against is going to live for 20 years. So they're going to cut down the amortization. Mm -hmm. How often does that happen? We've seen it on teardown properties. Um, it's common on teardown properties or properties that require a lot of work. Okay. I haven't, I haven't run across that myself too. And so I'm just wondering like where, what's sort of the date? Is it, is it the, like, is there a date where it's built or is it more just the condition of the property? The condition. Itself? So if the appraiser goes in and the property requires a lot of work and, you know, the structure is not as solid inside and outside is, is in bad shape, they may put an economic life below, you know, 30 years on that asset. And therefore the lender is not going to lend you a loan that extends beyond the life of the property. Okay. Darcy, so there's your answer. You don't have to supply a, uh, you know, a life insurance policy or anything like that when you're applying for a mortgage. Is that safe to say? Okay. You want the next one, Sandy? Yeah. So um, we got uh, Sonia here wants to know uh, what is the order that you should 
what's the order you should utilize the A lenders in order to be able to keep qualifying for financing? Well, that's a loaded question. You know, <laughs> I stomp on some banks there. I don't know if that's going to work, but uh, is there a way? Is there a way that you can sort of answer that without without uh, and still be politically correct here? I guess. <laughs> well, honestly, there is not a specific order. What we do is we say, okay, how can we get the best out of the the first group before we go to the second group and it's all a numbers game so i can i can tell you oh here's the order go knock on cibc then scotia then td then bmo then go to home trust and then go to equitable but it doesn't really mean anything because i don't know what your numbers look like so it's really driven by your debts and income of where that first deal should go and where the next deal and the third deal can go uh because what you you don't see the lending guidelines beneath the service as a client okay so even if you go knock on these doors you don't even know if you're going to qualify with any of them yes i can tell you which bank is offering the best financing terms today and give you a sequence but it doesn't mean it's going to work that way it's really driven by your income and debt and then once somebody reviews your file they could say okay sonia your first deal should go here your second deal should go there. We got to make sure you do this so that your third deal goes here. That's really the process. So unfortunately, there isn't really a predetermined sequence uh, that I can list. I want to stress the importance, people who are listening to this, to, um, to having someone on your team that understands how important this stuff is. Uh, so it's not just, it's not just, hey, we can get, six properties out of CIBC. Like there's a lot of different things that go into deciding on, uh, on how you should build your portfolio, how you should go forward. And there's so many different variables that, you know, talk to somebody like Dahlia, make sure you're doing things right. And they change a lot too. Things change all the time, right? So someone that, that's on top of things and, and keeping up to date. The rules change all the time. And in regards to the CIBC point you mentioned, Rob, uh, yes, on the surface, uh, CIBC has a great model when it comes to how they look at a portfolio. They use a lot of the rental income once you are beyond your third property, but there is fine print. And the fine print is something called liquid net worth, okay, which not a lot of investors have. You know, on the first three properties, you need 100,000. And as you grow your portfolio, you need an extra 10,000. And a lot of investors would say, you know what, I'm not going to keep my money in a bank account sitting idle so I can qualify for a mortgage. A lot of investors are actively deploying their capital into deals. So on the surface, yes, great model. But as an investor, do you have the liquid net worth to be able to qualify with a lender like CIBC, where maybe going to a different lender that is slightly higher in rate that doesn't require liquid net worth is where you should go. I'm just saying that these are the variations in lending rules that as an investor, you typically don't see beyond, beyond the surface. But as a broker, we know the ins and outs of why things work the way they work and where, you know, if they qualify where we send the deals. Do you have different rules as a broker? If somebody comes to you and, uh, and, and say they can't qualify with somebody, I know we're just using CIBC right now. Uh, yes. as, as an example, but say they can't qualify with CIBC. Is there a chance that they might come to you and you have different parameters that you work Absolutely. with? Absolutely. This happens all the time. 
all the time. Clients come to us, Rob, and they say, I was talking to this credit union or I was talking to this bank and they said I maxed out. I need private money. And I say, no, you don't need private money. The fact that you did not qualify with the lender you're speaking with means nothing. All it means is that based on their rules, based on their box, your deal no longer fits there. It doesn't mean that it doesn't fit with anybody else, but it also, there may be some opportunities for us to do things to help you qualify. Example, can we pay down certain debts? Can we um, you know, utilize some additional income maybe from a job, even though that like a self-employment job, maybe that's a source of income. So can we do anything with debt and income to help your deal qualify? So the fact that it doesn't qualify with one lender doesn't mean anything. Example, we just had a client yesterday, three deals, was talking to RBC, He's been an RBC client for 30 years, nothing against RBC, but RBC told him there is no way. Came to us, we qualified him to extract equity, 80%, 30-year M, you know, advanceable mortgage, excellent rate. He was blown away. Amazing. I like so that. Don't, don't get discouraged. Don't get discouraged if you're talking to one lender who says you maxed out. It's only their view of the world. It doesn't mean that there isn't anything out there. There is always a solution. There is always a solution. Well, Dahlia, I'll get a little personal here. Uh, we do have one more listener question, but I'll get to that in a minute. So the, the way that the way I work with you, okay? So um, the way that that came about was I, I had known of you for quite some time, but I got comfortable working with a different broker for a certain, you know, off the, off the bat and whatever. Um, first time I heard of you was at the uh, Investor Forum where you won all, where one of your many awards. And then I think the next year you won that same award again. Um, but uh, a lot of people had told me, you know, talk to Dahlia. And the reason that I did was because um, at a certain point I went to my bank who, who I had financed with and they had switched over. So they no longer worked with brokers. Mm-hmm. Um, they had all their own agents who yes. were, who were, who now you had to go to an agent at the bank and, yes. and try to try to work things out with them. Well, I said, I, I want to refinance two of my properties. And they said, Nope, that's not going to happen. And I said, listen, I'm going to leave if you don't help me out with this. And they said, yeah, well, bye. Cause we can't, there's nothing we can do. My hands are completely tied. I would love to help you, but I just can't do it. You know? So so, I, and that's how you and I hooked up and every, and you know, it's, it's interesting how much I've learned just from working with you on, how, and on the things that we've talked about today, just, you know, not necessarily the most important thing is the uh, interest rates and that kind of thing. So. <clears throat> thank you, Robert. It's been a pleasure thank working you. with you as well. We learned a lot from you as well. Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> um <clears throat> Last question from a uh, listener here. Tara wants to know if there are certain things you can stay on top of to make a smoother qualification process. Absolutely. So um, we're big believers in planning financing. Okay. As much as you can come to a broker with a deal and say, I got an accepted offer, figure it out. Okay. And they can plug this deal into, you know, work with a lender to get you approved. That's really not the best way to do it. 
planning is key, key, key. So what we have is something called um, an approval binder. Okay, the approval binder is something we share with every investor that is planning to invest in real estate, whether they are starting out or whether they're gonna grow their portfolio. That approval binder states everything you need to prepare for as an investor from a financing standpoint and send it to your broker. This way, you've got all of your ducks in a row, you've thought about everything, your broker is organized and has pre-qualified you hopefully for your next set of deals. That is very, very important to do. We do it with every client and, as, and some clients complain about the paperwork. Okay. And they will complain about the. Everybody complains about the paperwork right, right now. Unfortunately, guys, okay, it's needed. You're going to deal with it sooner or later. So it's better to deal with everything up front so you have a smooth ride. No surprises. Don't figure out down payment in the midst of a deal. Don't figure out, you know, where the money is going to come from in the midst of a deal. Don't figure out that you, you know, you haven't gotten your tax return in, a, in the midst of a deal. Everything has to be dealt with upfront. And then again, it's, it's, it's a cookie cutter. So that approval binder in my view is key for every investor. So that would be something that you could contact them. Uh, you, they could contact you for, and you could supply them right away. Absolutely. If they email us at info at streetwisemortgages.com and request it, um, we'd be happy to share a copy. Okay. Thank you. I'm going to go back because I don't think I got quite the answer I was looking for on the, uh, on the student rental refi. And so we, we had talked about how, like, let's just say the uh, property value has increased over five years now and you want to go back and pull some of that equity out. Would they be able to do that with it being currently used as a student rental? The answer is yes. Okay. The question is, where would it go? Because there is a group of lenders that love student rentals and would give you 80%, 30-year AM, great rate. And that's where I want to put the deal, okay? So this is what I was referring to earlier. That's to have a master lease agreement, not a room agreement. But also, it's important to know if you're going to grow your portfolio beyond this, you know, beyond five rentals. Want to make sure that we line up a lot of equity from your student rentals before you cross that bridge. Because once you cross the bridge into the sixth or seventh rental, you wouldn't be able to easily work with some of these lenders who offer great terms on student rentals. So that's what I was alluding to. It's a refinance, best to have a master lease agreement, but before you cross the bridge to the sixth or seventh rental, want to make sure we line up a lot of equity in your student rental so that you don't hit what we call a financing wall with these group of lenders that do student rentals. Okay. And conversely, if someone was to, let's say the end of the term comes, their students leave. Now it's not a student rental. It's just a single family home. It's a regular rental refinance. The universe of lenders we you the universe of lenders available for student rentals is a smaller universe compared to the universe of rental lenders that would rent on a just a regular rental. So, can we get great terms on student rentals? Absolutely. Can we refinance them? Absolutely. We just need to be, you know, um, proactive about how we go about the process because the the group that finances them has guidelines around the number of properties a client owns. So 
you don't want to really cross that bridge into the six or seven rental uh, until you have lined up equity from your student rentals. But if the students left and it's a regular house, yeah, no problem. We can finance it anywhere. Okay. No, there's a lot of mystery around this kind of stuff, around the student rental, around uh, the student rental. financing and refinancing and all that stuff, especially. So um, it, thank you for, for clearing some of it up. You're welcome. That was a lot of info. That oh, was some geez, good info. That was some, there's a lot of stuff to cover. Yeah, we've talked about a lot of, uh, I mean, we've talked about finance, you know, mm -hmm. many different times and, and with, 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 uh, with mortgage people, with non-mortgage people and people just like in the, in the business of real estate, but there's, there's a lot of good stuff there. The advanceable mortgages. I don't know if we've ever talked about that. We haven't. So that's yeah, a great that's, tip. yeah. And up until recently, I, I think someone led me to believe that that wasn't possible on, on, uh, on income properties. So all the time. right on. Just need to know the right people. Yeah. And I think that uh, if anyone has any questions, I'm sure Dahlia would certainly love to spend hours and hours answering them all for you. So. <laughs> or maybe a quick email might be better. <laughs> well, um, how can people get in touch with you, Dahlia, if they want to reach out and uh, learn some more about, about uh, this and, and hopefully do some business with you? Well, um, we're very reachable, um, myself and my team included, and uh, clients can reach us in different ways. They can email us at info at streetwisemortgages.com, or they can go to our website, streetwisemortgages.com, and fill in the contact form. Or they can go to our website and they'll see all of our team phone numbers. They can call us directly, or you know, call our 1-800 number, which is also on our website. Either way, we'll be happy to help and we'll get in touch with you. So maybe, thank you, Dahlia. So maybe as far as our uh, contacts go on the, um, uh, on the uh, website, we'll just put your link to your, to your website. <laughs> yeah. Let me start that again. I was just going to say, maybe, maybe what we'll do is we'll just put your website on our contact space on our website. And that way, that's probably the easiest way for people to get in touch with you. It Sounds is. like they can get all the different points of access from there. Yes. Great. Well, again, keep it simple. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing all of this. You're welcome. My pleasure. And I know there is a lot more to cover, but I try to, you know, focus on the key points. Um, but happy to answer any further questions. You know what? We could probably have like a specialty podcast uh, regarding certain, certain uh, different points uh, that, you know, someone might encounter struggles with, with as far as financing goes, maybe we can do like a specialty episode with you sometime. Yeah, sure. That That's a great idea because um, if you're hearing certain things from your clients about financing and you want me to dive into these topics, we can do that. Mm -hmm. Great. Well, thanks again. Thanks for having patience with us and actually coming back time and again to try and get this done. Yeah, no, no problem. I appreciate the opportunity, guys. Technical things happen all the time. So <laughs> yeah, thanks, Dahlia. No, lots of value here. That was awesome. Appreciate it. Okay. Sandy, how can people get in touch with you? Uh, yeah, 289-389-6846 or info at mckayrealtynetwork.com. And if anyone would like to get in touch with me, I'm still doing those property tours, uh, specializing in uh, secondary suites and student rentals in uh, Peterborough and Oshawa. 
So we've got that, uh, mar those markets locked down. So if anyone is interested in learning more about them, coming out on one of the educational tours, get in touch with me, info at breakthroughreipodcast.ca. Any other questions, any guest recommendations, any anything you want to know, any comments you want to make, uh, info at breakthroughreipodcast.ca. Thanks everyone for listening. Have a great night. Thank you very much.